I've had snails. That's green. And I've had alligator. That's green. I never thought about the foods that were green. <laughs> that <to> were green. <laughs> My sister-in-law texted me later. She's like, yeah, I remember those cockles. <laughs> she tried them too. Yeah, they were awful. <laughs> I, love, I love that you went back. Like, were they that? Yes. Yes, they yeah, were. Yeah, we did. My brother and I looked at each other and were like, no, we got to try it one more time to make sure it really was as bad. Maybe it was just that first bite. <laughs> it was just as horrible the second time with just as much sand. <laughs> it was horrible. See, that seems that seems to be a problem with the restaurant. I've, you should be washing out the sand. <laughs> you would think. And, I, and of course, that was my first experience. So I thought all cockles are like that. So I've never tried them again. I'd, I'd go somewhere, I... somewhere else and try them again. <laughs> Possibly when you make it to Ireland again. Just that'll be the yeah, time. Yeah, I... I yeah, and I forgot about the Molly and the cockles, mm. the song. I forgot about that. It's been a while. Hey up! I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with. So this story starts in the Victorian era. I love the Victorian. And your three words. To get you going. Midwifery. Midwifery. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Blackmail. Blackmail. And poison. Oh, I love these words. <laughs> Any ideas from that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Then let's begin. <laughs> and we will begin in Glasgow in 1850 when Thomas Neil Cream was born. He was the eldest of eight children to William Cream though he was known to his friends as Willie Cream, which is a great <laughs> nickname, and Mary Elder. A poor guy. I don't think Mary wanted to be a Mary, Mary Cream, so she kept her, her surname of Mary Elder. Yeah, I would too. When Thomas was four, his father uprooted the family, moving to Canada. He'd agreed to become the manager at a shipbuilding and lumber firm that was based in a place called Wolf's Cove in Quebec. So... Okay. He had been working, Glasgow has a massive sort of shipping, had a massive shipping industry. And obviously they made him a better offer that meant that he was all right because he had eight children. So you have to assume yeah. that Mary was um, pregnant and that they had at least three kids <laughs> under the age of, you know, toddling age. She's always pregnant. She's always pregnant, poor old Mary. Uh, <laughs> but they went across to Wolf's Cove in Quebec for the money, and it would not be the last time that young Thomas would cross the Atlantic. Initially, Thomas looked like he was going to follow his father into shipbuilding, but good old Willie Cream, he'd done so well that he'd been able to set up his own company, uh, making masses oh, of money in the process. Nice. So he'd gone over there, and obviously he'd learnt enough managing someone else's business that he'd been able to set up a rival company. Good uh, and like all new moneyed Victorians, he was determined <laughs> to cement his family's upper middle class status by forcing oh. his kid into a respected profession. It's going to go wrong. <laughs> you find it, you find it in a lot of um, sort of British families. This is the way you you you'll have a grandfather or a patriarch who'll make their money um, in industry, yep. and then immediately they want all of their kids to become either lawyers, doctors, politicians something to sort of establish no we're the upper crust now we're not just tradesmen yeah, exactly so at the age of 22 thomas neil cream began studying medicine at mcgill college i don't know if that's a good college it's in, <laughs> it's in montreal i don't, I don't even okay. know if it's still there 
He was, by all accounts, a pretty unremarkable student. He got through. How would you like that as your doctor? An unremarkable student. <laughs> like, you become a doctor and you're one of those unremarkable... What do you call the doctor who came bottom of the class at university? <laughs> right. You call him doctor. You don't know. <laughs> He's still the doctor. Yeah. Okay. He scraped through with the lowest <laughs> possible passing mark, but he did. We actually, during our first year of nursing, had uh, an anatomy and physiology exam. Uh, and there were some questions on there. We had to score over 80%. It was like a multiple choice. But there were some questions I felt should have been like a, 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 an automatic fail. You know, they were just like so fundamental that if you if you couldn't tell... <laughs> the answers to those questions it should have just come up with a big red x and been like no you need to leave now <laughs> you need yeah you need to do this over <laughs> you've been studying this for a year you should know where the kidneys are please leave yeah i, I yeah that's a good point is... i'd be awful if they started testing me on how to say things i would be i would have been kicked out of the university long like in the uh, beginning it yeah, took me they... six months just to say the word analgesic Ah. Uh... Yeah, I, I, can... I love when people say analgesic, <laughs> yeah. They, they keep it in Latin so that the commoners couldn't know. And doctors do that to this day. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll call the pharmacy and be like, I need this drug. Well, let me just spell it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, well, uh, Thomas, he, he didn't have the Latin down, I'm guessing. That's one of the reasons he was struggling. But his final thesis that got him his, you know, his doctorate, his pass he decided to write about the effects of chloroform. Oh. Mm, which is an important. interesting thing to pick. Uh, <laughs> this was, for me, the first of many red flags. <laughs> uh, the, the title of the address given to his graduating class was The Evils of Malpractice in the Medical Profession. Oh. And we can assume that Cream wasn't fully listening to this as he decided to celebrate his medical doctorate by setting fire to his rooms to collect <gasps> the insurance money. Oh, my gosh. Well, he'd be moving on. He didn't need those rooms anymore. But he yeah, could but... do with a bit of ready cash. <laughs> you yeah. go through all of that, and then you're going to start off with arson as your... <laughs> well, it, well, it's not arson if you don't get caught. And he didn't. Well, he claimed the insurance money, and he was paid oh. the insurance money. So he's flush with cash, but obviously now he needs somewhere to stay. So Cream <laughs> went to the main hotel in a little town called Waterloo, about 70 miles south of Quebec City. Naturally, he seduced the daughter of the hotel owner, a lady called Flora, <laughs> and agreed to an engagement with her, while simultaneously arranging to take a position as an obstetric clerk at St. Thomas's Hospital in London, England. Oh. So he's agreeing to marry someone in Canada while making arrangements to take a job in England. Well, hopefully she's okay with that. I don't think she was aware of that. <laughs> uh, any hopes of slipping... well, Victorian age, and she's a woman. She probably wasn't in on the plan. No, well, no, <laughs> nobody, nobody have been let in on this plan except Cream himself. Oh. But any hopes of him slipping quietly away were ruined when his fake fiance became ill. Wait, fake? Well, she thought, you know, that he was going to marry oh. her. He he clearly thought. Well, I, I just want to be able to stay, probably at a discounted rate, if not free, at this oh. hotel. Um, oh. So if I if I say that I'm going to marry this woman, her. yeah, oh. I'm getting on a boat in two weeks. I only need to string her along for two weeks, and then I'll what never a, be here again. It's fine. Dad. All right. But uh, yeah, she became ill, and the doctor who examined Flora 
found out something quite interesting and went straight to Flora's father and said, yeah, your daughter's um, undergone an abortion recently <laughs> that's been performed quite badly. Oh. Uh, if only they knew someone who might have been with Flora recently and might have <laughs> the knowledge to almost perform an abortion successfully. Oh. So the dad found cream and he was dragged to the hotel at gunpoint and oh. forced to marry Flora. <laughs> so it's a proper shotgun wedding in the that, literal sense. That's crazy. Why would you want your daughter to marry this cad? Like It's that's... all about the, the way that it was viewed by society. Yeah. It's oh. if she's had girl. what you could a miscarriage by her husband, that's something that's unfortunate and everyone feels sorry for her. If she yeah. had an abortion by some random bloke, that's her reputation ruined. Yeah. Um, and they, they really didn't want cream around. This was all for show because as soon as he married her, they said, right, you can get on that boat and you can, <laughs> you can get off to London. We don't, we okay. don't really want you here. So there was a plan to not have him around. That's good. Yeah. It was just, just for the sake of the family's honor because, you know, this yeah. guy was the hotelier. He was, he, he ran the biggest hotel in the town. He was quite, a, quite a guy and he didn't want his, his reputation besmirched by his daughter. Um, as children can do he was told when he was sent off to London you better be faithful we don't want to hear about any hanky panky and also you need to write to Flora every day we need we need you know she's fond of you for whatever reason you better write to her so while studying at St Thomas's Cream became aware of a slew of poisonings around the capital including the Vauxhall strychnine case or strychnine. I don't know what you guys say over there. Strychnine. 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 Okay. So... I, I'm the worst person to ask how to say things, but I think that's how it is. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you're the arbiter for your entire nation oh, at the moment in how things are pronounced. <laughs> uh, yeah, this the Vauxhall strychnine case was a bigamist railwayman called Silas Barlow who had killed one of his wives, one of Ooh. his many wives, with rat poison. Apparently, the death had resembled an epileptic fit, and if Silas hadn't left the packet of rat poison on open oh. display <laughs> in his house, he probably would have gotten away with it. Cream paid close attention to the part about nearly getting away with it, <laughs> uh, and presumably ignored the bit about being executed at Horsemonger's Gallow. <laughs> an interesting little tidbit about Horsemonger's Gallow, because I had to look it up with that name. Uh, it was uh, a prison... But the executions, because uh, it was in the centre of a city, uh, they took place on the roof of the building. Oh. So you were walked up um, a set of like stairs a- on the outside of the building at, at sword point to go mm-hmm. to your execution. And all the locals who lived on the same street had a great view from their upstairs windows. Yeah, you could sell more tickets. So how did it work? Did they, they come off of the building and they were hanging over the building or it was just on yeah they, they built a scaffold the on top of the building so it was uh but he wasn't hanging was... over like the street or anything no 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 it wasn't like it was just, just on top of the building. okay yeah there's a splash zone at the bottom you've got to just oh. <laughs> stay outside of there no um not surprisingly for someone who had already botched one surgical abortion and was rather <laughs> preoccupied making notes about various poisons and their effects Cream failed the physiology exams for entry to the Royal College of Surgeons. Shocking. So, yeah, he wasn't allowed to become <laughs> a surgeon. He was, however, able to get into the Royal College of Physicians, because we have the two branches. Um, 
you could be mediocre then yeah you don't have to be yeah it seems like they were less strenuous to get into <laughs> the physicians because traditionally the physicians were the people who would give advice and wouldn't really get down in the guts and the gore whereas the surgeons were the people who needed that anatomical knowledge because they'd be the ones true. doing getting yeah, involved they're probably still doing the whole humors and just giving meds and all that stuff as just physicians mm. giving bad advice and even now i don't I don't know how it is um, in America, but in England, if you are a physician, if you are a doctor in that sense, you are referred to as doctor such and such. But if you're a surgeon, uh, you're referred to as mister. Oh, no. Or miss. They're just so, all doctors. Yeah. So th- th- it's a big delineation. If you go to a surgeon and refer to them as doctor, they will say, actually, I think you'll find the correct one. You can't mispronounce. You can't give them the wrong pronouns. Otherwise, you'd be in trouble. They have here... Um a lot of doctors who do dual roles mm. so they'll be a surgeon and they just keep office hours as a doctor but they'll do surgeries in a specific area as well jack of all but trends. i've never called anybody mister <laughs> it's always just been doctor and they yeah they just share that title i have a weird affectation i call everyone sir and that goes <laughs> for my service users uh, doctors other nurses you'd fit in the south here real really really well <laughs> the difference is my politeness isn't just surface level it's uh it goes all Ingrained. the way through. yeah um i think i have a um a, a repel it a little bit because when we were younger my dad was military marine and he was always trying to get us to say yes ma'am yes sir mm. and i just was rebelling <laughs> so i if i'm saying it's usually being uh, sarcastic <laughs> so so have you have you been knighted then when, when did the queen stop by i'm sorry I'm... so yeah he he managed to get into the um, royal college of physicians and terrifyingly considering what's already happened he qualified for a license in midwifery so he became a man midwife oh gosh so he can learn properly how to do an abortion mm, well <laughs> he spent the rest of his time in london chasing women as Cream had absolutely no intention of keeping his promise to his wife. He was obsessed with the fairer sex. Oh. After all, she was an entire ocean away, and so long as he wrote that he was being faithful, he should be <laughs> fine. Right. But amazingly, he kept bumping into people who knew him from Canada. Oh, gosh. Including, <laughs> on one occasion, he was chatting up a girl, and he just so happened to be tapped on the shoulder by the priest who had married him <gasps> to Flora. Oh, caught. Yeah, so he had, he had all of these things that were ruining his game. Because you can imagine if you're He's chatting up a girl and luck. some, yeah, some Canadian priest comes up and goes, didn't, I, <laughs> didn't I marry you last year <laughs> to a woman who isn't this woman? Didn't that happen? How's that going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how's the marriage? Luckily for him, though, his wife Flora died of consumption in August Aww. 1887. Now, what a the, he, his luck goes up and down. Yeah, well, the death could have been indirectly attributed to Cream as a result of his botched surgery a couple mm. of years before, or maybe more directly. Because the doctor treating Flora in Canada had been puzzled by her symptoms and was had asked her directly if she was taking any medications that he hadn't prescribed. And Flora said her Uh-oh. husband had been sending special medicines from England Uh-oh. that he had prepared himself. <gasps> Uh, with instructions that she was to take them and no other medications. 
Oh. Unfortunately, as the doctor had not been able to see any of the medicine that had been sent, he couldn't confirm or deny oh. if they were legit medications. Oh, man. So he'd been preparing pills with some concoction in them, sending them across and telling Flora, these are super secret, make you better pills. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> and also don't take any other pills. Oh, that's not suspicious at all. Either way, when Cream learned about his wife's death, he did the honourable thing and sent a letter to his father-in-law uh, demanding $1,000 uh, as part of the marriage contract. Oh, Lord. Although he eventually settled for 200 <laughs> so they, they had a bit of a generous. negotiation yeah. via letters a little generous uh, that's nice yeah. of him but he's okay because from Cream's point of view he's single and he's ready to mingle with cash to burn <laughs> uh, and Cream decided it was time to move away from the smog filled streets of London he'd had enough there so he moved to <laughs> London what? in Ontario Canada okay <laughs> <laughs> He went from London to London, where he set up a doctor's office above a fancy goods store in May 1878. I love the description of a fancy goods store. Yeah, what 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 is that? As far yeah, as I like understand it, it's stuff clothing? that you, you wouldn't necessarily need. So it's ornaments, it's... So rich people things. Like rich, yeah, rich people things. Bonbons and music boxes and cigarette... <laughs> boxes and <laughs> oh yeah you know anything that you can think and of cigarette boxes that play music and <laughs> that doesn't serve any functional purpose <laughs> okay an objet d'art and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> would probably be found in this shop uh, exactly a year later after he set up his office the body of kate gardner was found in the alley behind his office she had died from a chloroform overdose oh mm. That's suspicious. Now, in the year he'd been there, Cream had developed a reputation as an abortionist. And Kate's friend confirmed that Kate had visited Cream to try and get an abortion. However, Cream had suggested that instead, Kate should try and blackmail a wealthy guest at the hotel where she worked by threatening to say that he was the father. Blackmail. And that she should then split the proceeds of the blackmail with Cream. Ugh. Kate had refused. Kate. <laughs> um, At least somebody is smart around here. Yeah, Cream, he denied everything. He said that Kate had visited him and asked for an abortion, but he had turned her away. So she had probably <laughs> committed suicide. In front of his place to put blame on him. Yes, knowing, knowing that he had written a thesis <laughs> about chloroform. on chloroform. Um, yeah. The doctor at the inquest reasonably pointed out that it was impossible to hold a chloroform-soaked sponge to your own nose and mouth long enough to cause death. Because you would pass huh. out before huh. you died. See, like drowning yourself in a toilet. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, he added that even if she had committed suicide, no sponge or rag was found anywhere near the body. Ah, the smoking gun. That's so true. the death was ruled a murder. But in spite of it being ruled a murder, there was apparently not enough evidence to convict Cream. Oh. Okay, so one, yep. you know he did it. Why would oh, yes, he put he her outside did. of his own fancy store? Like, why would... Not his fancy store, but why would he put her out near his would, place? We like. I don't know. It on. may have been that he's, he was be just... a smarter murderer. <laughs> he was planning on moving her later, uh, um, and he just put her in the alley while he carried no on with his day. Back there. <laughs> you know, if it was if it was a murder of convenience and she'd been there during daylight hours and he'd had other appointments, it's like, where can I put her yeah. where I can go back and get her? 
Um, but either way, he decided to take the opportunity while the going was good. They hadn't they hadn't decided to charge him with the murder, so he would get gone. And he wisely decided to leave the country. <laughs> so there's a he, London and Texas. Maybe he went there. Uh, <laughs> he kidding. he did go south of the border. He did go to the good old US of A, but he set up a new office in Chicago. All next right. to the West Side Prostitution District, which at the time <laughs> That is, that's a good place to, to set yeah. up if you like women. Well, at the time, it had approximately three and a half thousand sex workers. Wow. Who were charging an average of 50 cents a customer. So <gasps> I, I, I don't know what you cheap. get for that 50 cents, but... Yeah, that's pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. You get syphilis is what you get for 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> well, not surprisingly, he decided he'd continue to work as an abortionist. Uh, when he was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great place to set up if you're across from these sex workers who occasionally get pregnant and mm. need to continue with their business. You got your own abortionist across the street. That's perfect. Yeah, and he charges right? very reasonable rates. Oh, probably just sex. <laughs> there's, there's the potential, actually. <laughs> we don't know what he charged. Um, Again, almost exactly a year to the day after he'd set up shop, a dead body was found. But this time, it was found in the flat of an African-American midwife called Hattie Mack. Which, I love that name, Hattie Mack. Hattie, yeah. She's salt of the earth, is Hattie Mack. Uh, This woman was called Mary Ann Faulkner. uh, And she had visited Cream for an abortion after being abandoned by her husband and fearing that she couldn't support herself and the child. According to Mack, Cream had botched the procedure... Like he botched an abortion. Um, and have forced <laughs> Mac to take the woman in to her flat, or he would expose her as a fellow abortionist. Oh, jeez. An independent witness from the block of flats that uh, Hattie lived at gave a description of the doctor who had visited the flat several times in the previous days, and it didn't take long for the police to find Thomas Cream. He was in a drugstore with a letter <laughs> from Mac saying that she was leaving town as the girl was dead. So it's quite incriminating... Yeah. He obviously knew something about this. Uh, Despite the evidence against him, Cream was found innocent. This was mainly due to the fact that he was tried by 12 white men. Yep. His attorney's (laughs) argument boiled down to, who are you going to believe, white men of the jury? A white man with a medical degree or a black woman? Oh my gosh. Although, no. to be fair to the jury, they did deliberate for 15 minutes before they came oh back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it wasn't quite filing out of one door and then directly back through the other door. They they at least tried they to pretend. They made an effort for... Yeah, yeah. for show. Oh. Uh, later that same month, Ellen Stack died after taking medication prescribed by Cream. He then tried to extort the pharmacist who normally dispensed this woman's medicines, saying he the pharmacist had messed up the preparation the pharmacist went straight to the police but as ellen was a woman of ill repute uh, the investigation didn't go any further than exonerating the pharmacist so the police turned up and went yeah the pharmacist didn't mess up that's not the reason this girl died anyway we're going to carry on with real people that we care about now it's like they were so close it's like so Who did mess up the medication? Oh, well, uh, we... They didn't care. We, we've managed to make sure this white person doesn't go to prison. Leave it, <laughs> it's fine. A doctor with privilege. Oh, so much. Uh, another prostitute was found dead after an abortion near to Cream's office in April the following year. 
And despite so the he's cousin, averaging like one a year, he, he's he's ramping up a little bit. He's okay. averaging at this particular point about two a year now. Okay. Um, so this woman was found um, poisoned with strychnine, um, but it was ruled a suicide. So she had got hold of strychnine, and apparently that was the way that she decided to kill herself. Yeah. Despite the fact that Cream was very interested in a strychnine case in uh, in England a couple of years before. Um, so probably feeling invincible, having killed five women whilst making practically zero effort to cover his tracks. Yeah, like, what? He, he doesn't even need to. No, he doesn't. They just let him off anyway. So, I mean, well, what's the point? He, he made a bit of an error at this point, actually, because... He decided to kill a man. Uh-oh. He's yeah. breaking his MO. <laughs> he really is. He's <laughs> He's gone mad with power and he's decided to kill a man. Uh, Cream, he seduced a woman called Julia, the wife of Daniel Stott, and convinced her to poison her husband and then blackmail the pharmacist so that they could oh. run away together. I should actually mention, when I say they were going to run away together, Cream was engaged to another woman at this time. Oh. So <laughs> Julia was, was his side piece. <laughs> that he convinced oh. to murder her husband. Um, as Daniel Stott had epilepsy, Cream tampered with his pills, adding an overdose of strychnine. Unfortunately, he'd done such a good job and the death looked so natural that the coroner ruled that it was death by natural causes, that he'd had an oh. epileptic fit and died. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so you think, just cut your losses. You've tried something. It didn't work <laughs> out. But inexplicably, Cream contacted the coroner to insist that he check Daniel Stott's medication because Cream had <laughs> read about the case and was convinced that he would find high levels of strychnine in the medication. Yeah, that's not suspicious. Like, no, no, the pharmacist did it. Look, go look and check. I just know it. Yeah. Ugh. Cream was apparently surprised when the suspicion fell on him rather than on the pharmacist. <laughs> this person who'd rung up out of the blue to say, you need to check for this specific <laughs> thing. And it was there. Uh, at this point, Julia realised she had thrown a lot in with an idiot. Um, <laughs> and she turned state's evidence. Oh, good for her. That, combined with the fact that Cream's now ex-fiancé, because it all come out in the wash, uh, testified to say that he had been talking about Daniel Stott's death before it had happened, ensured mm-hmm. that Cream was sentenced to life in prison in the Illinois State Penitentiary. <sighs> so... God bless him. <laughs> Life what in prison it? in Illinois State Pen. So there he you could go. have gotten away with so many more murders if he was smarter. <laughs> he wasn't so mediocre. If he was smarter, he could have gotten a lot, a lot more um, before he got caught. I'm just well, saying. He was released ten years later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh. This just so happened to coincide with the death of old Willie Cream, his dad, uh, and it, the receipt of a huge inheritance. Oh, no. Though it was significantly smaller after the local politicians had reviewed the case and decided he was no longer a threat to society. Well, yeah, he didn't have access to any of his... Mm. <laughs> did they let him go back to being a doctor, though? Oh, they did, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> His brother oh, Daniel, my. who believed his protestations of innocence, was shocked by the drug-addicted, foul-mouthed man that emerged, pacing incessantly while talking almost exclusively about women, money, and poison, and showing okay. his collection of pornographic photos to everyone he met. Wow, this guy has... 
he's not smart at all. <laughs> Prison had not been kind to him. <laughs> um, mm. One of the drugs he was apparently taking was strychnine in small doses. But yeah, so he's he's doing well. Those 10 yeah. years in prison have really... He, Probably he's had a lot thrown. of time to reflect on how to do it properly. Uh, possibly fearing that springing his now insane brother from prison was a bit of a mistake, Daniel <laughs> convinced himself that all his brother needed was a holiday. So <laughs> he packed Cream onto a boat and sent him back across the Atlantic to recuperate in London, England. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel refreshed after a vacation. Yeah. Why not? Well, within eight days of his arrival, a prostitute by the name of Ellen Donworth was found writhing in pain on the Waterloo Road in Lambeth. She said she'd been given a drink by a posh-looking gentleman before the convulsions grew so violent she could no longer speak. She was rushed to St Thomas's Hospital but died en route. And the cause of her death was um, found to be strychnine poisoning. His MO, he didn't even change. Incidentally, Cream wrote to the coroner in the case and offered to name the murderer for a £300,000 reward. (laughs) Because he's a he's a, a what like an amateur detective. He knew exactly who it was. Yeah, he he pieced together who'd done it, <laughs> based on the fact that he'd physically seen <laughs> someone putting the pills in. Um, he also wrote <laughs> to the owner of W. H. Smith, which is a big um, stationer's in England. It's like a major high street store now, uh, threatening to expose him for the murder if he didn't pay blackmail. Uh-oh. So he wrote to a random millionaire <laughs> saying, I know you murdered this prostitute in Lambeth. How uh, upsetting that would be to get that letter and like, oh. Just like, that's, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that's I'm, crazy. I was in Kent on a hunting party. <laughs> what are you talking I actually about, like, I actually like this part of the story because it's so random. <laughs> Like to, to randomly send a blackmail letter to someone who's oh, rich. I mean, that's that's actually brilliant. <laughs> to like, just see what but, happens. Will they pay it? I mean, yeah. I mean, you don't like, know. If you don't he have might. a good alibi. Maybe he's a rich white guy in London. He may have murdered a prostitute. <laughs> you may get lucky. Oh, a week God. after the death um, of Ellen. Another prostitute called Matilda Clover was seen escorting a posh-looking gent to her rooms on the Lambeth Road. Her landlady saw the man leaving and a few hours later was awakened by Matilda screaming in agony. Between spasms, Matilda said the man had given her pills. She remained in agony for around six hours before finally dying. And apparently death by strychnine, you are conscious of what's happening as your body shuts down. That's awful. So you die of uh, respiratory arrest but you're fully cognizant of what's happening. That's scary. It's a, it's a horrific way way to kill someone. Incidentally, at the same time as this murder happened, Cream wrote to Sir William Henry Broadbent, a well-respected neurologist, threatening to expose his murder of Matilda unless he paid blackmail. <laughs> and he did this oh. despite the death being ruled as a result of alcoholism. Oh, so, gee. Uh, so he's Mat- implicating... It, well, not himself, but he's he's putting it out there of what it really was. Yeah. And how could he have known that? Yeah. Because Matilda apparently had been a heavy drinker and everyone thought that she had been trying to go straight and it was as a result of withdrawal oh. that she'd, yeah. Which um, could happen, yeah. 
and that had been put in the press but he'd obviously oh. as soon as he killed her written this letter saying I know oh. you murdered this woman another <laughs> prostitute called Lou Harvey was approached the very next night by a posh gentleman they spent the night together and arranged to meet again the following evening the gentleman brought some pills for Lou to take but she was smart enough not to unfortunately she decided she'd throw them in the Thames rather than oh. taking them to the police so she pretended to take the pills, uh, pocketed them, and as they were walking past over the river, she just dropped them so that if he searched her, they wouldn't be on her person. Yeah, well, she probably wouldn't have known that she, that, that they were going to try to kill her. Maybe she just thought this guy is into drugs or wanting, you know, so. I mean, he was, he was a massive drug addict, so I, I, he probably would have looked like somebody who was tweaking. Yeah, so I dying mean, all I over the place. Probably would, and I, you put attention on yourself if you go and go to the police with these drugs too. So mm. I probably would have done the same thing, just knock them to the river. I mean, from what you've said about the the dams, it's you know there's all kinds of great yucky things in there anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. You, like a little bit of strychnine's not going to make the Thames <laughs> any more deadly than it was at this time. Um, there was a gap in poisonings in London then, which. It weirdly coincided with Cream having a visit back to Canada, returning huh. in April 1892. Wait, so he didn't write a letter about her thinking that she was going to die later? Uh, <laughs> or just no, didn't he, work? he didn't try to blackmail someone with this one. <laughs> Apparently, um, he sort of left at that point. So he gave her the pills, thought she'd taken them, and then he came up with an excuse that he had to leave. Obviously okay. expecting that she would then die uh, in agony and he could <laughs> then blackmail um, but he saw her a couple of days later or she saw him and he looked shocked and surprised to see her <laughs> because bet. I was like why are you not dead you can't ask oh. that question but if if a look could convey the <laughs> sentence why aren't you dead that's yeah. the one he gave that's her that's probably yeah that should so, be yeah. a red, red flag for her too to see that face after, after that, he went back to Canada to sort out some of the stuff with the inheritance, um, and he returned to London again in April 1892. On the 11th of April, uh, two young women, Emma Sherville and Alice Marsh, were entertaining a posh-looking gent in their rooms. He left. So it everybody's to... describing him as a posh gentleman? Mm, he he okay. dressed well. I think top hat. He had these nice little um, round spectacles. He had a lovely, well-cut moustache. You know, he looked the part. Um yeah, so he left at 2am uh, and about half an hour later the landlady was woken by screams. Both women were foaming at the mouth and convulsing. Oh no. They were able to say that their gentleman caller had given them some pills prior to leaving. <laughs> the deaths were ruled as a result of strychnine poisoning. It's funny how they are able to say these things before they die. Mm. Like, that's helpful. Oh, it's, a, it's a slow death. That's the thing. He, he wants people to suffer. And he wants to know, he knows He's... what they're going to go through. He doesn't have to view it, but he But in knows. the meantime, they can implicate him mm. by saying, oh, we took some drugs that this posh yeah. gentleman gave us. But the, these are prostitutes saying that they met yeah, with a posh that's... looking gent who gave them. He Could probably thought, yeah, he'd have the anonymity there. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Cream was not on the list of suspects for the Lambeth poisonings and might have remained that way if he hadn't met a police officer from New York City. Cream uh -oh. wanted to be friends with this cop. What? Uh, yeah, he, it's a common... He's confident. 
he was mass murderers that they want to be in with the police. You look at uh, Ed Kemper. Um, you look at you know. It's like having one one finger, one one foot in on the pulse of what's mm-hmm. going on, so that you can see the effect that your your killings are yeah. having. Because yeah, he, he also knew a few people from Scotland Yard that he was on talking terms with, and he oh. would ask about <laughs> the case and uh, do you have any suspects? So it's a way of covering <laughs> his own back, but it's also a way of seeing just how much chaos he's causing. Yeah. Uh, but with this New York cop, he wanted to impress him. So he took him on a tour of Lambeth and he pointed out all the key locations in the Lambeth poisoning case. He also mentioned the murder of Lou Harvey, who hadn't been reported oh. as dead because she hadn't taken the pills. The officer oh. was immediately suspicious because, you know, he was a New York cop. He was not an idiot. And when somebody <laughs> walks you around and discloses information they shouldn't have about murders... You might want to take that to, to yeah, the authorities. So he made contact. Application. Oh my yeah. gosh. He made contact with Scotland Yard, this New York detective. They tailed Cream and realised he was in the habit of visiting prostitutes in Lambeth. Then they looked into his past and realised he was a convicted murderer who used strychnine <laughs> as his method of dispatch. So they finally got round to uh, sort of having suspicions of him and they sent a constable to America um, to find out a bit more about his backstory, obviously went to Illinois State Penitentiary. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, we know Cream. <laughs> yeah, he was here for a decade. He, did he kill that woman with strychnine? Yeah, yeah, he did. Oh yeah, oh that guy, yeah. <laughs> likes oh. likes to kill prostitutes. Yeah, that that man. <laughs> <sighs> but he's yeah. turned a new leaf. It can't be him. <laughs> mm. Well, he possibly realised he'd said too much because Cream forged a <laughs> he forged a letter from Jack the Ripper. And in this letter, it said that Dr. Thomas Neil Cream definitely wasn't the poisoner. <laughs> so a letter oh. from Jack the Ripper, which... That's validation right there. It was not in the same handwriting <laughs> as the other Ripper letters. It was actually in um, Dr. Thomas Neil Cream's handwriting. Uh, and it said that Dr. Thomas Neil Cream definitely wasn't the poisoner. No. Despite no. the fact that the suspicions of him were all kept in-house. It wasn't common knowledge that the police were closing in on on Thomas as a potential uh, suspect in the murders. And he was amazed that this letter just increased the suspicion on him. (laughs) And he was finally arrested June 3rd, 1892. The strong evidence would probably have been enough for a conviction. But the final nail in the coffin was Lou Harvey who turned up to the trial to testify. Ah. Uh, she could identify Cream, as could two other prostitutes called Elizabeth Matt and Elsa Masters. Uh, they'd seen Cream with Matilda Clover, the one who they thought was alcohol poisoning, because in the interim she had been exhumed uh, and was found to have been poisoned by strychnine, Ugh. as Cream had been insisting to <laughs> lots of people who had kept saying, no, 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 it was ruled alcohol. And he's like, no, I bet you yeah. I bet you if you dug her up it'd be strychnine and oh, it was what, a, what an idiot <laughs> you know you know how the first jury it took them 15 minutes <laughs> oh no well, this great this this great British jury this oh. of, the, of the London folk uh, <laughs> it took them 12 minutes <laughs> to find Dr Neil not to Cream be outdone <laughs> guilty this time though of four murders, one attempted murder, and a ton of really badly planned blackmail attempts. Oh my goodness. Good. He was sentenced to death. 
after a failed insanity play, because <laughs> everybody tries the insanity play. Of course. On the 15th of November, 1892, Thomas Neil Cream was hung at Newgate Prison. His last words were reported as, I'm Jack the... <laughs> this has led some people to believe that he might actually have been Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Except that he's not that smart. Well, that's one of the things. But there are other reasons, because I'm sceptical of it for a few different reasons. One, he was in prison in America at the time of the Ripper murders. And some people have tried to claim that there was actually a body double who took his place in prison so that he could go murder and have the perfect alibi. But again, yeah, like that's... you say, he's an idiot. <laughs> two, that plan would he... take too much, you're right. <laughs> he was barely competent uh, and he benefited from the disregard with which Victorian society uh, viewed prostitutes. So he, he'd only been able to kill for so long because he'd made it look even slightly like natural causes in a few of them and people it's a different, didn't care. Um... Yeah, it's a different MO too. It's not like well, they were killed in the, the same way. That's the other thing. Jack the Ripper ripped. That was the, the reason <laughs> right. he, the he He performed surgical <laughs> incisions and cut people open and removed parts of the body. He did not yeah. dose people up and walk away. He was very intimate with his victims. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and strychnine uh, is like a pat, like you were saying before with the other story, the passive aggressive type of, yeah. of way of murdering. Uh, there's still going to be people who hold on to that theory, but I have heard an alternative theory, which I actually like better. So an alternative view on his final statement is that in the final moments before his death, Thomas Neil Cream had lost control of his bodily functions and was actually trying to say, I'm ejaculating. <laughs> he was excited by his own hanging. <laughs> he just lost control. His body had gone into complete shock. Um, and I, I prefer that idea that it was just he he died the way he lived as this weird coward who hid behind this weird uh, link he had between his sexuality and feelings of control and power and at the very last moment he'd been completely <laughs> disempowered and lost all control of everything uh, I, I'm not a guy I don't know that that could happen <laughs> But, um, I mean, maybe. <laughs> Apparently, you know. Or maybe he wasn't. He just wanted people to think he was. Was Jack the Ripper. Yeah, even at the end. No, he that he was ejaculating. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, a pretty easy way to check after you've hung him. I mean, <laughs> although, to be fair to him, he, he would tell a lie knowing that he could be caught out with even the cursory glance so yeah, yeah it's, it's quite <laughs> down with his mo so that that is the story of the lambeth poisoner thomas neil cream a transatlantic uh medical murderer oh so how many of it was all all how many murders did he do altogether? Altogether, i believe it was 11 um I'm, I'm giving him his wife as an extra <laughs> one that's i think i think he probably did mm. kill her because i mean he was probably practicing on her with the pills that's 11 that we know about. There were probably more that were died and just never investigated, um, yeah. especially during that year in Chicago, if he was living so close to such a massive red light district. There's there's probably a chance he, he got more people yeah. who he killed there. It's just that nobody cared or, you know, nobody, nobody found the bodies. 
So yeah, he didn't. He learned his lesson from leaving it outside the his own <laughs> shop. Uh, <laughs> at some point, that's just laziness, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's like, come on, dude. I was watching a true crime show yesterday that they think that the body of the like that he hid the body under some laundry because his children had come home and the kids had to step over the laundry and on the laundry to get to their rooms. Mm. There was a trailer. They were stepping on the body and they were like, it wasn't squishy like laundry. It was like firm. Mm. Like maybe there's a body underneath. (laughs) Like this is lazy. (laughs) For some people, it's the power thing as well. It's having them so close to home and knowing that if they were discovered, it would all be over. It's that keeping that thrill and that risk going, I guess. I Although, think for this guy, he was just he ran out of time. <laughs> he didn't he have time didn't, to take the didn't body. Didn't occur yeah. to him because for for the longest time with these murders and the things that he was doing, he just nobody seemed to care. I mean, yeah. that first one was she couldn't have committed suicide. It was quite it's... clearly a murder, and then they just moved on. It was like, oh anyway, yeah. yeah. Oh, someone's murdered this woman. Because they don't care. That's sad. It is really mm. sad. That's a good story. That was a good story. I wondered the the Jack the Ripper connection. <laughs> and then when you said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's supposed to be a connection. Mm-hmm. That was good. Well, Although it wasn't direct. I tried it was... to tie it all together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, and the I book I read keywords. was really interesting because um, it, I, I found a book that's out of print now about this. It was, it was written in America um, as part of somebody writing about the Victorian view on... It was part of a series around Victorian views of sex and sexuality and the actual bit that I took this from was a tiny little slither of the book and the rest is all talking about sexual politics and the sort of the fact that everyone thinks that the Victorians were these repressed, almost asexual society where sex was done for necessity and they were actually they were repressed on the outside, but they were a bunch of dirty little freaks underneath all of that. <laughs>